Hey, this is Mike from High Hash Rate. I just want to start today's episode by mentioning that our conversation was with Frank Holmes. Frank is the executive chairman of Hive Digital Technologies and CEO and chief investment officer at U.S. Global Investors, Inc. Now, we are not sponsored by Hive in any fashion or way. Frank and his team reached out to us to see if they can have a discussion, and we've wanted to include new voices on this show as we like to and get different perspectives uh, from different spaces, especially the, the topics that came up in this episode, mostly about mining and energy consumption and energy production, which is very interesting for us. So we wanted to uh, have that conversation with Frank and we gladly got some great information. If the talk about crypto or any of these other kinds of uh, coins uh, disturbs you <laughs> and triggers you, you are welcome to flip to the next episode or whatever show you wish. So without further ado, thank you very much and hope you enjoy. What they have found on the research is that if you own a Bitcoin that was at a halving, that, that it's worth more money. And the ordinals, uh, the, uh, not the ordinals, but the Satoshis are worth more money. So we had an audit done of all of our green coins. And, and, we, and they came back to us and they offered us a quarter million dollars for 200 Satoshis. What's that? You know, 20 cents? Hey, everybody. This is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. Welcome to High Hash Rate. Today, we're talking with Frank Holmes, the executive chairman of Hive Digital Technologies, formerly Hive Blockchain, a Bitcoin mining high-powered compute company, which is publicly traded on the NASDAQ. Frank, welcome to the show. How are you doing? And it's great to be with y'all. Uh, Frank's also the CEO and CIO of U.S. Global Investors. He uh, writes a widely read newsletter. He's got a vast experience uh, managing funds, managing money. He's the 2006 uh, Mining Fund Manager of the Year by a several century old mining journal based out of London called The Mining Journal. Uh, so Frank, what can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Are you, and you Sounds like you're a gold bug. You're an old gold guy. I'm an old and bold gold guy. And uh, and what's nice about it is gold is just like Bitcoin is a decentralized asset. Uh, and, and that's the important theme. And it sort of drove me down this path. Uh, I'm known for the world of gold. I created many gold mining companies, uh, seeded them uh, in royalty companies. I have an ETF called GoAU on New York Stock Exchange. And so that journey you know, led me down to Bitcoin and, and Bitcoiners reaching out to me on Bitcoin and I was just uh, amazed trying to launch a Bitcoin ETF in 2017 and realized it just wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen in the U.S. I went to Canada, same thing. But originally from Canada, I moved to Texas 34 years ago. I, I, I know the Canadian frontiers quite well. And uh, friends of mine said, look, what about crypto mining? And so they said, we have an opportunity to uh, buy a mining company. And so that was in Iceland. So I said, okay, I'll put up the first five million. And immediately, high blockchain technology was the first crypto mining company to go public. Uh, and we were mining in Iceland. And that vision grew that I wanted to be green only. Uh, and so that, that led us to Sweden and into Canada, where we're mining in Quebec and New Brunswick. When it comes when you say the green only mining, what what actual sources of energy are the most efficient or the most profitable and you because there's a lot of different choices you've got solar wind they're intermittent you've got I, I assume geothermal in Iceland you've got hydro what which do you have the most experience in and which and how do they affect operations well the big part is is that when you're geothermal like Iceland it's very stable and hydroelectricity where we're in New Brunswick, uh, the dam is uh, hydro dam is only you know, yards away, and the same thing in Sweden. Um, Quebec Hydro basically supplies everything from the huge St. James uh, uh, Bay um, hydro facilities. 
So I, I think that you 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 lock in a price and, and you understand that that's the cost of electricity is stable. In Sweden, it's much more dynamic. Iceland is a fixed price. In Sweden, it, it you have the ability to hedge. So we've been able to hedge a year ago was averaging three cents. And that makes it very, very attractive, stable electricity. We were the first to do um, uh, basically uh, stabilizing the, the grid and getting paid for it. We've been doing that for four years in Sweden. Uh, it's now branched out. You see companies like Riot doing it in, in Texas. Um, and it's been very profitable for us uh, to be able to do that. Like last year in December, when everything looked like it was falling apart, uh, we made a lot of money that month for with selling our electricity. Okay. So we, we're we really thinking of a technology. The other really exciting thing we've done is in Quebec, in La Chute, just north of Montreal, we basically take liquid and heat it uh, from our, our Bitcoin miners, from our ASIC chips, goes across to a building five times bigger, and it heats a building five times bigger uh, with 170 workers making whirlpools. So, it, and now we're uh, working in, in 100 miles south of the Arctic Circle in Sweden to build a 95,000 square foot greenhouse, uh, which will provide all of the um, uh, cucumbers and tomatoes needed in that region. And there'll be no carbon footprint coming from Italy or from uh, Spain. So in fact, we, if we would look at that we're creating a carbon credit um so we we like that idea of being innovative yeah that that leads me to the question about well first of all the idea of grid stability that's kind of a a trending topic in the bitcoin community in the united states very recently it's kind of the past year that the talk about those benefits that these miners can provide to the grid but it sounds like you've been doing it for six almost six years do you or have you consulted on this? Have have you helped some of the other mining companies uh, or some of the grids in these other countries? Have you talked to them about these benefits or is it something, it sounds like you were quite ahead of the curve here. Well, we, we have, and, and we worked in New Brunswick of trying to help them upgrade um, their mindset and, and technology. Uh, when we first were building there, they almost had like a fax machine to tell you that they need the energy. Uh, so we have fixed and variable energy. And it was sort of interesting in going along that journey of educating them and how they create a hedging system. But we're still got much further to go. Um, uh, but I, I think that uh, it's been a, you know, a great exercise. And what you see in Sweden, we're the largest uh, balance. We're the largest entity using energy to balance the grid with them. Uh, and it just it works well for them. It, it saves them big capex. So if they wanted to have uh, energy uh, to provide during peak periods, they'd have to spend $100 million building another dam and facility. It's so inexpensive to operate with us for those peak periods. And, and uh, so the sharing revenue with us is so inexpensive relative to a big capex spend they'd have to go through. Um, another aspect when i say ahead of the curve is you talk about heating that water and, and set, selling it in quebec um and and in sweden the, with the, the volatility of the price of bitcoin with a skyrocketing hash rate the marginal you know revenues and profits they can greatly swing it sounds like when it comes to day-to-day -day operations and a lot of these other companies are trying to find other ways that they can bring in revenue to their mining company, whether it's fixing ASICs, whether it's financing, whether it's loaning Bitcoin. But you're, again, you're selling the excess heat, in a sense, to other industry in your local area and, and kind of saving their costs and, and making a pretty reasonable or a pretty stable revenue source there. Are all of your, you know, is this expanding? Is this as people yes, are it's learning more? We're looking at a hockey arena because hockey is so big in northern Sweden. It's like NHL. And uh, and, and so with two megawatts, you can heat the whole facility and save the town $200,000 a year. Um, the other one we're exploring on engineering is, is using the heat to dry rice and to dry the, the hay. So they spend, they usually do it with propane. Um, and, and they have heaters 
and dryers. And so this idea of helping the local community uh, where 101 is 11, that's all our goal is how do we make it? Uh, and what we've also done in Bowdoin is that the arena has been renamed the Hive Arena. And uh, so we're involved with the edu with education of hockey for all these kids. They've had three superstar individuals go on to make the NHL in North America, and they've won three Stanley Cups. They've, so this, they're town heroes like they would have Saturday Night Football in Texas. Uh, it's hockey in, in Sweden. So we're trying to do everything with the community and showing how we have GPU chips also, and we've lent those out to gaming because – you know, Spotify comes out of Sweden. The gaming industry is so big. And and, and the college, the local college, is creating a gaming curriculum. So we we try to do everything we can uh, to be supportive. At the same time, drive high cash flow returns on invested capital for Hive. And that's something I've been proud of because as a money manager, um, one of the overarching decision-making of capital allocation is the cash flow return on invested capital which I love that you can buy this ASIC chip and at this price, you know you're returning your capital is going to be how many months or how many days. There's not many investments you can go and do that. Um, and so we've run that whole philosophy towards the, the overall company. And and Anthony Power out of the UK is an accountant that went into the analytical part of this business. And he says that we're the most efficient miner uh, of how we function that way. Talking about chips and, and kind of capex here, you've got kind of a, in, from my perspective, maybe you can correct this, this perfect storm of extreme demand growth in like NVIDIA chips for GPUs, whether it's for AI or for gaming, ASICs for Bitcoin mining as the, as the uh, hash rate continues to climb and kind of this supply chain disruption where we're kind of punishing or trying to restrict the amount of technology that can be made in coming out of China, trying to bring it back home to the United States. And, at, and also there's the kind of the looming threat of potential uh, conflict or unrest between China and Taiwan, which would theoretically disrupt uh, chip production from one of the largest uh, manufacturers in the world. How, from, from your standpoint as a business person who's got to buy these chips, who's got to add ASICs, has to add GPUs, what does that look like to you is it drying up is it becoming more and more competitive and are the prices skyrocketing like the stocks no no they think that the um uh, you're still paying for high quality uh you're basically on a terahash like 21 dollars for a high performing energy efficient um machine in the asic world but what we did you know from um with the nvidia chips uh we we're using amd chips for our ethereum mining the predominantly was in in sweden and, and iceland and we learned a lot of that exercise the the profit margin on mining ethereum uh was very very high it allowed us to redeploy that into the asic business of of one basically one extra extra hash of uh of of profits went into expanding our Bitcoin footprint. Um, with the with the mining of Ethereum gone, um, one of the things we did in last year uh, was to buy NVIDIA chips. And now some of our peers bought the NVIDIA chip, but there's single purpose only to mine Ethereum. We spent more money in saying, no, um, I took the first AI company public in gold mining industry in Canada um, three years ago called Goldspot. And, uh, and Montreal is a hub for AI because the universities are very connected to creating the most PhDs with AI. Just like in San Antonio, Texas, where I'm based, uh, it is the number one university uh, for uh, cybersecurity. And that's why NSA has 3,000 high-paying jobs in San Antonio. So you're looking for these areas of, of intellectual capital where the university is providing them. And, and so that led me down to learning more about uh, the need of these chips and the NVIDIA chips. So we spent more money buying these chips that allowed us to also mine two coins at the same time, only proof of work. And, and what was interesting is that when Ethereum left, that we were already building out our, our data centers for HPC, um, and we were applying them uh, using AI to these smaller coins. And when Bitcoin gets volatile, we have found that the smaller coins are actually more profitable. 
than mining with the S19 Pro uh, Bitcoin. So we can go and mine the smaller ones, immediately sell. We will rotate between who has the highest returns on invested capital. We do not want to saturate the coins or hurt that return on capital model. And, and we pivot all the time, but we immediately turn them into Bitcoin. What is and and from yeah. financial and from financial point of view, uh, we have report each month that this is our Bitcoin production. What when you talk about this volatility in this period where you kind of pivot? What are what kind of time lag are we talking about here? Because you're talking about using AI here. So are you? Is it you know a metric switches on a you know on a computer screen and you and you're switching to a new algorithm or a new mining? strategy is this like could it happen on the hour the minute or is it more is it a longer it, it, term usually usually it's by the day and the week but okay. uh, it can happen on the hour interesting um that all of a sudden someone else turns on their machines and starts mining uh such and such coin um then they crowd the market out and your margins go away so as soon as those margins go away we're gone we're going where the margins are. So with that exercise and what we've learned is, is that when we have these bull market, these surges, um, that, that that proof of work, I think, is going to become more and more significant. I know I disagree with the proof of stake, and I think they are a security. And I do believe that proof of work is it's like if you want to make a gold brick, you need to have electricity. If you want to make a digital asset, you need electricity. And, and, and so it's recognizing that a digital asset is not a, a um, Excel sheet on the blockchain, which is proof of stake to me. Uh, and so I am very focused on proof of work. And when I think it, what we saw is that we were the first to buy our own data centers. And first, and when this concept, which is, keeps my brain, you know, continuously moving and thinking that these independent data centers, these decentralized data centers are going to become more and more valuable because Microsoft is building a data center of a million square feet in San Antonio for the NSA. You know, uh, and so it's it's what do you make that the data? If you put a picture on Facebook, it's their picture. It's their property. If you turn around and create an algorithm uh, that you've used the AI to create something unique, you want it to be have privacy. And with these independent data centers, we offer that privacy. This is your asset. And, and so I think that independent data centers like what we have are going to become just valuable, as valuable as you're seeing with Bitcoin as becoming this uniqueness. I'm curious. So you seem to have your hand in sort of a lot of different, um, a lot of different fields, right? of energy production and uh, Bitcoin mining and gold production. And I'm just wondering, like, where where do you look for opportunities? Like, how do you even start? Like, what's your are, are you are you like flying to a place? Yeah. What, are you flying I to think, a place? Or you... I think long term, if you really have a long term vision and vision that we're all part of the great digital transformation and Bitcoin is a key component of that but it's, it's only a small sector of it at this stage. Uh, if you take a look at the total dollar value of all financial assets in the world, Bitcoin is still so tiny and, and it has nothing but huge upside. But as, as the rest of the world now with AI is on another level of this great digital transformation. So long-term, the independent data centers are gonna become very valuable. That's what I think, long, long-term. In the interim, Ethereum is gone, so we pivot. Um, that it's now going to be AI. And we found out all of a sudden we could mine other coins and uh, they were profitable. Uh, we, we're supporting, we believe, the ecosystem for proof of work. We're, as uh, long as it's proof of work, then we're interested in it. And now we're seeing this idea of a chat GBT. I was talking, it's anecdotal, about the friend's uh, wife that she's now writing letters to the teachers using GBT chat. She set up the fa fastest ways to go through the city of Toronto to get to school with AI. Uh, she's, she's using it to, to run her whole household. Um, and so they all, as, as people become more sophisticated in using GPT chat, then there's gonna be greater need on our data centers. And so we can turn around and mine proof of work coins, convert them to Bitcoin at the same time, we can build out the HPC. The HPC margin business is huge. 
Like we are 60% cheaper than AWS and uh, it still is margins like we were mining Ethereum. What kind of infrastructure, software infrastructure do you have to, or do you have to build at all for these data, these, you know, AWS has this enormous platform that everybody is, uh, you know, they get certifications to use. What kind of infrastructure do you have to build or is it like a third party or something that is kind of you're partnering with? It's a third party we partner with and, and the most sophisticated in the fintech space seems, seems to be all the UK um, that do all the K, KY and do all the uh, AML and, um, and they sell it by the hour. So you rent these machines and depending on the, on the, 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 the breadth and depth of, of the machine, uh, the chip, uh, you get 40 cents an hour to uh, the new 100 gets 287 an hour. $2.87 an hour. So that means you get a four month payback. That's like being early Bitcoin miners with ASIC chips. Uh, we, not 400 days, but um, uh, 90 days and, um, and uh, to 120 days. So I, I, I look at um, that this is sort of a big digital transformation. Um, we're part of it uh, and we have an expertise in as a Bitcoin miner. We think that the the margins coming from this other business will get to redeployed into building out our Bitcoin. And right now we're going to double our, our in the next six months, our Bitcoin um, uh, from three X 3.4 X a hash to six X a hash. And, and what, one of the things that we started early on the HPC was what we were working with. It was Dell liquid with servers and they didn't work. They just were a, a disappointment, but that's just life in this business. And it was like buying a car with no wheels. Uh, uh, and, and you had these chips and, and you want to redeploy them. And, and these chips allow you to do many things at the same time. Um, and so we found that the super micro uh, servers are the best. Uh, we've beta cited this with, we've made a press release. We have 400 of these uh, chips working out of the 38,000. And they made a quarter million dollars for us last last quarter. So we know it works. And so each month now we'll be getting more of these servers coming in and we'll be redeploying um, more of these GPU NVIDIA chips. And, and that was the big difference that we did not just bet on Ethereum. Uh, we bet on the use of, the, of these chips that are going to be so critical in the great digital transformation. That's yeah, that's that's starting to percolate in my mind here uh, so do these hpc like these gpus when you have these data centers do they is there like some sort of system similar to like bitcoin mining pools where you join a pool of other compute providers that you're kind of sharing revenue based Correct. on okay interesting it's so a, that's a good you know what that's a good metaphor just like buying a, a car without wheels you know waiting for the wheels to be delivered from china um and and i and i share with you is that when you look at the data center business uh dave perel came up with uh, zero there's three tiers basically and and he had tier zero where basically where he's in texas and building out uh you think of a construction site where you're going to build houses you sell lots uh, you put in the sewage, you put in the, the, the wiring, et cetera, but you build the house and you get the funding for the house. Um, and that's sort of tier zero. Uh, and then you go to tier one, tier two, and tier three, and you'll spend up to $10 million like AWS or more on, on a tier three data center where there's a tremendous amount of redundancy, uh, which is critical for, especially with the government and or air traffic control towers, uh, they just have to have that uh, for GPT chat and that that growth. No, you 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 may need it for six days, six weeks. Um, that access to this data to run and test your your idea and what you need. So we think that um, uh, that that will be a big part of that long term vision. And yeah, the, the so you with your experience with gold mining and precious metals, right? And then this. Like you said, that like this metaphor, Bitcoin mining is is kind of a metaphor. You're not really mining in the sense of you're not digging up the earth and and lurking for ore or looking for metals. You're if you if you abstract it a little bit more, right? It's almost like you're what you're really mining is 
electricity. You're finding energy sources around the world. And this decentralized nature of you, you've got your data centers by the, you know, these waterfalls, these geothermal wells, wherever you place your, your data center, you're finding the, one of the most important resources to mankind. You're finding energy and you're finding ways to get it cheaper and more efficiently and cleaner, whatever your metrics, these, that's what these stations are for. And all the, the, the way that we're going to power the world of tomorrow is through compute, through high powered chips, through the productivity that we can gain from putting these workers, so to speak, near the most efficient, cheap sources of energy. Is that kind of how you view what is going on? Yes. And the long-term vision, absolutely. It is energy. And in uh, uh, it's in this understanding, like AI can help the utility of when they're going to need the energy. Uh, and it also, besides mining these other smaller coins, uh, it's, it's the use of this AI. And I think it's just, you just have so many applications that makes it fantastic that uh, uh, how do you reconfigure a data center uh, to be more efficient? Uh, how do you re re reconfigure your software uh, with AI? Uh, I was with a young guy uh, last week, a fund manager, and he has this new business. And he said he, he's a he's an MBA, um, but he doesn't know anything about coding. And he went to GPT Chat, and he said he built a um, a website and all the collateral for launching his new business, which is poker, poker chips. He's manufacturing poker chips. So I got a, such a chuckle out of it. And the design is using for it is AI, so it's all colorful. But he was able to do everything with it. But he needs to have access to something like what we provide. Uh, it's not a long-term uh, agreement, a contract. Um, and we think as we scale our business that we'll end up going into long-term contracts uh, with bigger needs. Uh, it could be a hospital system, et cetera. But coming back is that our, t our, our data centers, uh, when we first bought, we were only a quarter million dollars. Uh, they can handle eight feet of snow. Uh, they're resilient and what they can handle, they're beautiful. And, and you can see in New Brunswick uh, in particular. And, um, uh, and now they're costing about a million dollars a megawatt. So if you start adding that redundancy and you want to go to that other level. So I think that's another reason why we can do it less expensive. And, uh, and we're basically a pool, as you said, as, a, as an example. Uh, I think that's a, another way of looking at it. And this sounds kind of like it's a real estate play as well, right? Because once you have all of this infrastructure <laughs> built in these specific areas near energy, it's not just about the capital or the resource that you're mining. It's about the real estate that you've developed in that key area. Some people want to live by the ocean. A data center wants to live by a geothermal well or a dam, right? Right. Exactly. And software, by the way, with the AI, it, it does that we can shut down in seconds to go from 30 megawatts uh, to one or three megawatts, even in the coldest winter to stay warm. Um, and, and they could not do that with a hydro dam. Uh, right. It just would take much longer. And then to boot it up again, that, that cycle. So it is really the use of software is, is critical here. And we have our own software team. Uh, and then we have partners that are in um, uh, Austria, um, which makes it easier for them to fly up to Sweden if we need anything. And we have uh, a wonderful team in, from Croatia that are helping manage the facilities uh, that we're building out uh, in Sweden. You, you mentioned that these, um, you mentioned that these data centers are going to be so expensive and that, I mean, I agree with you, Dan, I think a, a real estate play is probably the case. Uh, and you, and you're, you keep talking about a long-term vision. I'm, I'm curious to think, or to, to hear your thoughts on like basically where you think Hive is going and 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 maybe the social aspects of um, what a data center will look like in the future as opposed to like cities or or the countries countries itself nation states things like this and I want to and I want to add on to that question real quick because we talked about this briefly before we started recording and I've seen I've, I've heard you talk about it in large crowds in Miami. And it's, it's kind of controversial. You get some booze sometimes from Bitcoiners and you talk <laughs> about green coins. You talk about the value of Bitcoin based on its 
the energy used to mine it. And there's, you know, other factors, but as what Mike was saying, when it comes to cities developing around this real estate and these data centers around these certain energy sources, the market does seem to be placing whether you like Emphasis. it or not, whether you yeah. like it or not, right? Like the, 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 there it's valuing certain types of energy sources, not just for the money, but for the community, for the, the city, the state, whatever, that they want to use this certain type of energy. And it kind of, and it goes all the way down to the money they're using. So explain what your thesis is and what you've been doing Explain your thesis. Around, around, around this. So you, you have to fly idea. at 50,000 feet and you have yeah. to look at decentralized art dealers. You have to look at stamp collectors. You have to look at whenever you have a limited number. Um, and, and, and to me, it's most fascinating how it's being validated. And what I said when I was in Miami is that if you mine a green Genesis coin, it will become more valuable. Once you start putting it in the system, and yes, it's fungible and it's easy to be fungible, but if I do that with a stamp, if I have a Marilyn Monroe original stamp, it's worth a lot more than that stamp. I was looking at um, uh, Reddit today and someone had all these $2 bills and said all these fresh $2 bills are worth a lot more than $2 uh, because they were never in circulation. And so it's the thought process that we've gone through 19 million coins have been mined. There's only another 2 million. People are becoming more conscientious of, of uh, uniqueness of a coin and being green and being Genesis. Uh, and because and, it's on the blockchain, you can see wherever it's been. Um, it, it'll have more value is, is what I believe. I believe you're going to see a piece of art with the 64 digits underneath hashtag and, and this is your Bitcoin and you can design it however you want. And we know that the gold plated uh, Bitcoin, uh, that they were, they're of much more value than an ounce of gold. The, right. the, the person the, who went out and did that, you know, that, and so you, you, it's uniqueness. So what really blew me away this year was, was the growth of ordinals. And a right. lot of those same people that are so narrow-minded on Bitcoin's use and definitiveness is so big. And, and, and what the ordinals did was, as you know, it was attached to a Satoshi. Well, one Bitcoin is 100 million Satoshis, which is like 0. 0.000 what pennies. It's, it's, it's so small. And, and what they have found on the research is that if you own a Bitcoin that was at a halving, that, that it's worth more money. And the ordinals, uh, that, uh, not the ordinals, but the Satoshis are worth more money. So we had an audit done of all of our green coins. And, and, we, and they came back to us and they offered us a quarter million dollars for 200 Satoshis. What's that, you know, 20 cents? We're not even million? not even not even that right it, it, it's it's sort of put in the context that that the value of a satoshi with this number that someone is willing to pay me substantially more for and then someone came along another person reached out that said they pay us more for it so i i think that if you look at the world of diamonds this is what happened with diamonds when de beers controlled the supply of diamonds uh, only 3% of Americans were, would get engaged with a diamond. Love is an intangible. Diamond is tangible. Gold is a tangible decentralized asset. Bitcoin is a intangible decentralized asset. It's like love. So what happened with in, in 1947, they retained Ayers and Co. and Madison. Madison went over this whole program that, that the royal families used, used diamonds to get married with as a commitment, and so do movie stars. And today, 80% of people expect a diamond for engagement. Then in 65, they went to Japan. Only 3% were using diamonds. And once again, then the Russians came along and flooded the market, and, and so it changed the dimensions but it shows you that if you cap the supply and you and demand grows, that Metcalf's law prevails. So I believe it's going to happen with, with green coins. I believe it's going to happen with ordinals uh, are going to drive the value of Satoshis. So it's really, it's, it's amazing to witness. It's happening so fast. It's happening in digital time. Right. It's not happening in decades for diamonds all of a sudden to capture 80%. Um, it's happening in blocks. Pardon me? 
It's happening in blocks, basically. Yeah, it's been, it's remarkable. Yeah, and I I share some of the uh you know philistine ideas about like nfts they're kind of a a distraction but there's there's something you have to accept when it comes to a decentralized asset like bitcoin which is that when people when the market starts to adopt it they're going to attach different values different ideas of what it is what it is how they can use it and so the people often who they they do pay a premium to buy Bitcoin that is what they call non-KYC. There's no giving up your identity to the state or some entity to, for you to purchase these Satoshis I, you know, without that identifying trail. They're paying a premium for that. So those in their mind, those Satoshis are worth more than the market price. Then you should not be surprised that people are going to place value on these Satoshis for other reasons. Whether right. it's the energy, whether it's the some image that's inscribed to it, whether you agree with that or not, that's going to happen. And that is going to shape the market. And that's going to shape the way that the that these things are traded, the way that they're thought about. I mean, ordinals as an idea, whether it's you're a fan of it or not, it has reshaped the way that people think about managing their UTXOs and managing the Satoshis in their wallets, which is going to have downstream effects for all kinds of innovations for you to manage the Satoshis that you own based on however you value them, depending on how you bought them. So I think that kind of leads to my next question, which is as there's a lot of FUD, there's a lot of anxiety around the 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 block subsidy as that decreases will the the fees be able to make up for that loss in revenue per mined block to incentivize mining mining especially as the hash rate grows so do you see that these new ways of valuing satoshis and being able to track them and and, and trade them do you think that that's going to play a uh, 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 have a, be a factor in how this mining the mining fees grow in the future? Um, there's a fund being created now. It's worth $30 million. And um, they're going to invest in um, 100 deals. 50 are going to be uh, capped at 300000 per investment and are going to be in the Lightning Network. And the others are going to be in the ordinal world because um, the Bitcoin magazine as an entity believe that that's going to flourish the adoption and the awareness and the growth. And what I learned from the NFT business, it was like Uber to the art galleries. Art galleries are decentralized, but art galleries charge 50% commission. Sotheby's charges 25%. Along comes OpenSea's at 2.5%. Um, and, and every year I go to Harvard with uh, 150 CEOs from 80 countries and the average, I guess, this is older guys that are uh, in their late 60s and early 70s. And uh, and this year was all about the great digital transformation and those that went through before COVID and how well they did during COVID and after COVID and those that did not go through the adoption. And the last case was the Bored Apes Yacht Club. And and all these guys, you know, like they're going, uh, why are we doing this case? Uh, we understand Moderna. We understand pizzas. But, you know, Bored Apes Yacht Club. And the professor says, uh, did anyone here buy the art? No one. And uh, one bought a camera with Bored Apes uh, had. It was so funny. Um, but a $200 investment came worth $600,000. Now, why? What did it do? And it was basically, it was uberizing the art gallery world around the world and making it all of a sudden attractive people that said, if you weren't part of that airdrop, then you'd weren't out of luck. And so you had to be like Shaq and spend $200,000 buying a piece of art in the aftermarket. And and so it was, it was and how they did to score it. So what they found, I don't know if you followed the study of these two young guys that started it, but they were in 2017 when I was learning about Bitcoin mining and trying to launch an ETF. They were in university studying culture and they were creative writers. And, and 
and they said, hey, I just learned about Ethereum and we can open an account in five minutes. Takes you almost five days now, open a brokerage account. Um, and, and they said, we're going to ape in. They started aping in on coins. And, and then they said, you know, there's something unique about what we're dealing with. It's a culture. Right. And that's right. what they were studying. And they went and put together that everyone wants to belong to a, to a club, a, a, a yacht club. And it was so interesting that they did it through the bear cycle. And that's where the word bored, we're all bored apes. We want to jump in, um, but we all want to be a member of the yacht club. And the yacht club is not a place where you dock your boat. It's Discord. And you can only get on Discord. And all of a sudden you've got Paris Hilton along with Shaq talking to you uh, is if you have the art. And it, it was it was incredible to see that how that they did a, a billion seven in revenue. I mean, that's yeah. just a, a mind boggling number. And that led a lot of the creative world all of a sudden coming in to learn about Bitcoin and why they want to own Bitcoin. So I think it's just part of that that sort of spread the word. Um, that, How are you? That, every, yeah, everybody's orange pilled through a different avenue. And, absolutely. and Mark Goodwin from Bitcoin Magazine, who we've had on the show, great guy, he, he, he tweeted a few weeks ago something about you don't have a movement if you don't have artists. So NFTs are not are controversial, but it is it is exciting artists and, and cultural vanguards, right? Whatever you want to call right. them to get into a space that's kind of an engineering techie thing. And when it comes to their ultimate value and what they're going to save, it's it, they're learning about Bitcoin. And I think yes. that that's ultimately uh, a long-term that there's a lot of value there. Um, and one other, th we've talked about, you know, you know, the other part just to add to what I'm working on yeah. um, is using AI and creating um, where it's gold in the art. And, mm -hmm. uh, but behind every, um, uh, ordinal is a gram of gold. Right. And, but it's going to be art. And so you don't know what piece like of art is valuable, but all of a sudden you're going to be able to have something that is tradable and kept with the Royal Canadian mint is a gram of gold, but it's also creative art. It's, it's so exciting to think, how do you do that? What do you have to do? It's like a puzzle of all these pieces. And, uh, but you know, I'm you know exploring these things, and uh, it's exciting. Yeah, the we like you, you kind of brought in the intersection of AI and Bitcoin there, and, and you've kind of talked about them as as separate parts of the business. But what do you see as opportunities or or trends in the future of where they're like an intersection between Bitcoin and AI? What I'm talking about is you have these decentralized data centers, you have this decentralized compute, but paying for them is centralized i assume right you're, you're using some payment processor a bank etc what about access to a, to the compute needed for ai or anything else really being able to pay like with the lightning network for example where you're streaming sats to a compute provider in real time for access to those api requests for access to that to that energy it's just a matter of time with the adoption. It's it's just it it will happen, and uh, we're investing in uh, a lightning network ourselves. Uh, Hive is, you know, that we find it's just, it's we're, you still have to build up uh, uh, relationships with people that are going to use your network. But we've got bitcoins on our balance sheet. We've got thousands of them, and how do we take uh, ten or twenty of them? and start providing something. I think that we're trying to do uh, just the same as we're running a node uh, to be part of the ecosystem uh, to, to strengthen it. Yes. Um, and I noticed by the way, a lot of Bitcoin, the miners, they don't run their own node, which I found interesting. Right. Right. Well, yeah, a lot of them use uh, templates and they, they, what you submit the, the block, right. You know, they're not necessarily doing it from their own node. Um, well, we want to be respectful of your time, but something we, we, we ask every guest and we would like to get uh, from you is what was it about Bitcoin? What was your aha moment? I mean, you're, you're a commodities guy, you're a proof of work, whether that's literal in terms of mining or just as a philosophical sense. What was that moment 
where Bitcoin became, this isn't just money. This isn't just an investment that I can make money on. This is going to change the future and how we do business, how we transact internationally, how everything. What was that moment? Did you have that? Yeah, when I went to Consensus in 2017 and the keynote speaker is Abigail Johnson and uh, mm -hmm. she, uh, CEO of Fidelity, um, it's worth billions of dollars as a family owns uh, Fidelity and she's a CFA. She's a money. She was an analyst, a tech analyst. She never speaks at investment conferences. She never does, but she's at a, a crypto event, uh, the head of, of, uh, of Fidelity and, and, and there's 5,000 people here and they spent 800 bucks a ticket. I mean, the biggest retail ETF mutual fund conferences in Orlando, and it's free. <laughs> the people aren't going to spend 800 bucks um, and they get 5,000 people out. The biggest for the gold mining industry is in, in Vancouver and it's free. They get 2,000 people. So here you got 5,000 people and the biggest um, uh, booth was IBM. So hmm. I, that was my sort of epiphany moment that, that this is bigger than big. And then I went to conference because I travel all over the world my, as global resources. And it was interesting going to London, um, seeing how big it was there, Singapore. The, like these conferences are all over. And unless you went into that metaverse of, of the crypto world and found out where they were, they, they didn't hit mainstream in 2017 but they told me that people are writing checks and it's something's big is happening mm -hmm. uh, and that was that was that moment i said okay uh, i'll put up the institutional money to launch this company i'll go on as chairman i'll put up five million dollars and immediately 25 million came behind it it went public it's the fastest money i ever made and then a year later i never sold any shares and it was down um and so it was a, welcome to that roller coaster much greater than the world of gold but i was still fascinating that the conferences uh, they were always there and uh people were still always talking you wouldn't have that in a tech in a normal um uh, gold mining uh if gold is down dramatically no one shows up to a conference um, so this is a, a brand new world and I'm, I'm very, so grateful that, uh, I learned, uh, to appreciate and be involved with it because I'm 68 and it's forcing my brain to stay young, um, uh, and go to use, uh, read my Reddit every day to make sure I'm looking at my YouTube, uh, uh what the latest people are doing. Uh, these are all decentralized media. The decentralized media is the other thing that really woke me up is what drives this ecosystem. Uh, and, and so that I think is it's not mainstream uh, Wall Street or mainstream media that's driven this around the world. Now they cover it because it's so it's grown so big. Um, but it's it's really decentralized media It's decentralized data centers. Bitcoin is decentralized. Uh, and I love being in that innovative decentralized world. Yeah, it, it de decentralized access to information, whether that's money information, whether that's their news, whether that's able to communicate with like-minded people, or it's access to compute for that information. Because the information can be valuable on its own, but being able to do work with that information and be productive with that information in a decentralized way, I think is really important. I um, agree with you. And yeah. to emphasize the, the truth of that information as well. How, right, the fidelity. The, you know, the fidelity. The fidelity of that, of that, information. that information. and your, Yeah, everything. Yes. Um, and, and I always believe in our own investment team uh, that you have to arbitrage information. Uh, and, and one of the things we do now is every Wednesday's pizza day and we watch YouTubes on, on information that's global that you're not going to get from Bloomberg or CNBC until way after. Uh, and and so tracking what's happening with China, tracking what uh, is happening on global technology, uh, who are the other thought leaders out of Germany? Um, quite often they will do a YouTube on where they're forecasting for the year to go. It's listening to those if you're not attending these conferences, um, I think is, is, is helpful. But you still have to arbitrage for fidelity. Yeah. Yeah. Um... 
for Frank, tell people where they can learn more about Hive and, and just give them the, you know, the, if they want to learn more, they want to find contact you, learn about your company. What do you want them to know? Well, I have a blog. It's called Frank Talk. And, and um, I think it goes out to about 100,000 people in 80 countries um, every week. And I try to write about unique things, uh, my experiences of meeting guys like yourselves and, and going through this journey of, of, uh, of discussing this sort of ecosystem. Um, and you guys are much earlier than I were, that I was able to uh, embrace it. Uh, but I, I, I think that uh, they can go to usfunds.com and this Frank Talk. But go to High Blockchain. Uh, we 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 publish every day on Instagram and Twitter. We tweet something. Uh, if it's not a AI visual, but we also um, uh, do these uh, our own little sort of uh, uh, webinars for people to understand. Uh, we had something like two thousand registered investment advisors understand crypto. Uh, by Hive coming on and, and, and things like that. So we try to do everything with an educational bent. If you see on our website about the use of energy, and we took Michael Saylor's presentation from 30 minutes, condensed it to three minutes, and put it in English, Spanish, French, and Swedish. So <laughs> therefore, local bureaucrats and, and governments, etc., would em- try to embrace that there's so, so much FUD on the consumption of energy. So we're very big on education. So high blockchain uh, technology, ticker is HIV, makes it easy. Nice. Well, thanks for coming on and talk to us. It was a great conversation. It was, it was, I've seen you speak multiple places. It was nice to actually have a conversation with you. Well, thank you. Very kind. And you had great questions. I appreciate it. And your opinions uh, were very thoughtful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks again for listening to the High Hash Rate podcast. You can find us on Twitter at High Hash Rate, or you can hit up Dan at Heartland Bitcoin, H-R-T-L-N-D Bitcoin, or myself, Mike, at Run Dance Bitcoin. That's all one word, Run Dance Bitcoin. If you're a fellow pleb or you just want to shoot the shit with two high Bitcoiners, reach out to us. Holy Toledo!